children are going with their leaders. We in here today are going to turn, and we're going to finish the, the book of Daniel in our series, Dissecting Daniel. So we come this morning to the point where we've come to an end. Actually, we come to an end in more ways than one. I mean, yes, it's the end of the series of Dissecting Daniel. We've been on now for several weeks. But it's also the end, meaning it's the last vision that Daniel receives throughout the entirety of the book that we've been discussing he receives his last vision in 536 B.C., about the time that Dan was born. 536 B.C. Okay, I knew it was pretty close. He received his final vision, and that final vision he received at that time was written then in Daniel's chapter 10, 11, and 12, which is part of our reading and part of our discussion today. Now, we're not going to read the entirety of all three chapters. In fact, it would be way too lengthy to do so and probably immensely confusing so we're going to emphasize the latter portion of chapter 11 but we're going to read chapter 12 that's why i'm asking you now to maybe turn to daniel 12 prepare for the reading daniel 12 is 13 verses and we will read all of those in just a moment but before we do so let me kind of paraphrase and kind of summarize what's happening in daniel 10 and 11 not to just completely dismiss them and skip over them but to maybe have some familiarity with what's going on in those chapters will help us. So in Daniel chapter 10, in verses 4 through 5, or 4 through 6, basically without reading those verses, Daniel is standing near the Tigris River. And when he's standing there, he sees a, a radiant angelic being, maybe even like a glorious man, whose voice is very thunderous. That's what verses 4 through 6 is informing us and telling us. But Daniel's kind of overwhelmed by the vision and falls into a deep trance. Now, identification of the man or this angelic being is never identified exactly, which allows some scholars then, as they read through the book of Daniel, to have some varying opinions. Dr. David Jeremiah says many scholars believe this man, this angelic being, to be a theophany, which is a pre-incarnate appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ. But he goes on later in his book called The Ages of Babylon to dismiss that kind of. It's not that he believes that. He's saying some scholars do suggest that. But he's saying most likely it's that they're pointing out that Michael comes in later in the equation in the particular chapter, which leads them to believe he's actually helping Gabriel, who was the angel we actually mentioned in prior chapters, who has appeared to Daniel and actually even explained to Daniel some visions he had been having. So some scholars would believe to believe then that possibly it's Gabriel. And Michael comes in, another archangel mentioned in the Bible, to be able to help him assist him. But in verses 11 through 15, also in the 10th chapter, the angel then told Daniel to stand up and it encouraged him not to fear. That's primarily written in verses 11 and 12. In verse 13, he tells him that he'd been delayed in coming for 21 days by the prince of Persia, which is possibly a reference to Satan and one of his demons and or his demons to attempt him to stall or stop altogether God's plan for moving forward. Remember, Daniel is receiving another vision. His vision he'd been having so far has been precise, accurate, and exact. So all likelihood, the next vision he's receiving, which is pertaining to the end, shall be exact. So Satan... The prince of Persia seems to be appearing to kind of stop God's plan from moving forward. Michael is actually helping in defense of making sure God's plan continues. And it actually, it goes back to one of the very first things we talked about 
in the book of Daniel because of a repetitive theme. I haven't talked about it in a few weeks, but a repetitive theme kept coming over and over again throughout Daniel, that God is in control. He's in control of every one of our lives and everything happened. And it was certainly the, the way in the, in the day of Daniel that God was in control and everything was happening according to his plan, according to the timing he wanted to be done. So in verse 13, Michael steps in, the archangel, and takes care of business, thereby allowing the angelic being, maybe the Gabriel, to reveal to Daniel then certain future events that must transpire that actually then goes into chapter 11 and elaborates. Now, we must remember the original manuscripts never had chapter divisions, never had verse numbers. So when chapter 10 goes into chapter 11, which we are now, to talk about what's happened in chapter 11, it just continued the vision. It didn't really stop. So in chapter 11, basically, you have the chapter outlining the course of Palestinian history from Daniel's time to the time of Antiochus Epiphanes, who, by the way, is someone we talked about in Daniel chapter 8. If you remember, he was referred to and called by J. Vernon McGee as the Nero of the Jewish world. And at that particular time, I explained that Nero, in case you never heard of him, is a New Testament Roman ruler who loved to persecute Jewish Christians and Christians in general. I mean, he loved to persecute them so much, he would just burn them alive and have joy from that. But that was Nero. McGee refers to Antiochus Epiphanes back before Christ as the Nero of the New Testament. He also referred to him, our Jewish world, also referred to him as a forerunner of the Antichrist because he was such a great persecutor of the people of Israel. But a very quick summary then, Daniel chapter 11, is that it provides rich history of leaders, of Darius, Xerxes, Alexander the Great, or Antiochus Epiphanes, and many others. John Philip summarized by saying the chapter deals with the rise and fall of empires, with alliances and intrigues, with the marching of armies, with imperial ambitions and palace plots. Now, that's a lot to go through really quickly in just a few minutes pertaining to Daniel chapter 10, chapter 11, and then in getting any kind of specifics, just kind of giving you a summarization of everything happening in those two chapters. And all that is because we want to get to Daniel chapter 12, because everything happening in 10 and 11 actually introduces chapter 12. Because something of great significance is about to happen in Daniel chapter 12 with this vision, which we want to take today a chance to elaborate upon before we close the series. As mentioned, the text, if you even notice the title today, pertains to the end or the last days, futuristic activities and events that must occur. It could be worded more correctly as the rise or the ascension of the ultimate evil ruler, the Antichrist. So let us this morning consider chapter 12, saying with me if you're able to, if we simply stand to honor reading of the word, we're going to read all 13 verses, chapter 12, and then we'll take a moment to explain and elaborate, at least some of the verses, but there's actually more here than we can even get done in 30 minutes. But Daniel chapter 12, starting in verse 1, it says, At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never has since as never since was a nation till that time. But at that time your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be written, found written in the book. 
And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Well, then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others stood, one on this bank of the stream and one on the bank of the stream. And someone said to the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the stream, How long shall it be to the end of these wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the stream, he raised his right hand and his left hand toward the heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be a time, times, and half a time, that when the scattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things will be finished. Well, I heard, but I didn't understand. Then I said, O oh my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? He said, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. And from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away, and the abomination that makes desolate set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1,335 days. But go your way till the end, and you shall rest and shall stand in your lot of place at the end of the days. Father, would you take a moment, Lord, to pray over this text and ask, Lord, as we begin to dissect it, our finale of our series, Lord, that we'll see how these words begin to actually make sense of what's written here and then how they can pertain to our lives. Lord, so we actually now pray that the Holy Spirit would lead and guide. I always pray, Lord, that the words that are about to be said would not the Lord the words, Lord, I want to be said or to be following the notes necessarily, but the words that you want us to hear this morning to see how this, this passage today is alive, it's rich, it's powerful, and it's events, Lord, that shall happen. So let's prepare our hearts, and for those we love today, be prepared for what shall eventually come upon the last days. Thank you, Lord, for leading us and guiding us and directing us today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, well, the last chapter of Daniel that we've read now, Daniel chapter 12, it contains obviously 13 verses, and some of those verses may have some self-explanation to them, but many of the others just kind of beg for elaboration and some application, which we'll get to in a little bit. But there's actually, like I mentioned earlier, a lot more to unpack than we have time for. But nonetheless, let's go back and begin to elaborate and dissect and explain some of this passage, because... As we go back to elaborate, the first thing we should note is that the first verse in Daniel chapter 12 refers back to the previous chapter. Again, I mentioned to you that there's no chapter divisions in the original manuscripts. So it's important to realize that. But there's a link as because the modern-day Bible actually has verse numbers and chapters. It's actually important to recognize a link at the beginning of chapter 12 goes back to the prior chapter. It's crucial to know this. Because highly likely that link that you find referring back to the previous chapter, probably primarily verses 30, 60, 45, is no longer referring to the rise and fall of certain leaders of nations. 
but more specifically, it's talking about the rise of the evil Antichrist. Let's look at verse 36 to kind of make sense from that. In verse 36 of chapter 11, it says, And the king shall do as he wills. He shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god and shall speak astonishing things against the God of gods. He shall prosper till the indignation is accomplished, for what is decreed shall be done. Now, in case it doesn't make sense, I borrowed the words of John Wolford, who's done a lot of study on the book of Daniel and Revelation, and he explains this then pertaining to that verse. He said, this coming king, referred to in Daniel chapter 7, verse 8, as a little horn, or the ruler in chapter 9, verse 26, will be the final ruler in the Roman world. His rise to prominence by satanic power is described in Revelation 13, where he is called the beast. According to John, in Revelation 17, he will gain authority, not by military conquest, but by the consent of the ten kings who will submit to him. This is all futuristic. Starting with Daniel chapter 11, verse 36, which is one we just read, the prophecy moves from the near, that time of Daniel, to the far, some things that's going to happen. Is that events recorded in the verses 36 to 45, chapter 11, will occur during the final seven years of the 77s. Now remember, if you're last week, we tried to elaborate a little bit upon chapter 9, which talks about the 77s, or 70 periods of seven that shall occur. 69 of those periods of seven have already happened and occurred. Everything is unfolded. There's one particular section or period of seven that has yet to occur. That is the tribulation years and will always be introduced, uh, shall be introduced by the rise of the Antichrist. And will go into tribulation. So remember, there's one period that is yet to unfold. And Daniel's prophecy, we've been finding throughout chapter seven through now, that one period, futuristic, is now again being referred to. And it's going to be the rise of the Antichrist. Now, it's important to recognize the Antichrist will surface. There's been all kinds of suggestions over the years about someone being called the Antichrist. There's even been people talking about presidents being the Antichrist. None of that has ever happened. None of that has ever been true. But the Antichrist truly will surface at one particular time in history. And that date is to be determined. But we need to take a moment as we recognize that truly the Antichrist will someday appear and recognizing those things that shall happen, things he shall do. So in verses 36 through 45 of chapter 11, it begins to outline almost verse by verse some of the things the Antichrist will do. And I put them into your notes, but here they are. Seven things the Antichrist will do in the final three years, or three and a half years of tribulation. Number one, well, he will exalt himself. He will literally do whatever he desires because he has no match. Verse 36 of the 11th chapter says, The king shall do as he wills. He will magnify himself above every god or actually above every person. The second thing that he will do during the time that he surfaces is that he will blaspheme God and disregard all religion. He'll want to have one universal religion, one little thing that will everybody be, be doing for him. I mean, he'll, he'll speak astonishing things it mentions in verse 36. In verse 37 of chapter 11, he says, He shall pay no attention to the gods of his father. He'll have no inclination at all to recognize our God. He will blaspheme God. 
As he rises to the occasion, he will establish a mighty military and declare war. Chapter 38 39, or verse 38 39 of the prior chapter says, He will divide the land for a price. He will establish a, a military and divide the land. Fourth, what he will do is he increase his power and dominion. Tens of thousands of people will fall during this year, during those times. He stretched out his hand against the countries, land of Egypt, and many others will fall and submit to him. The fifth thing we should note that he will do during the time that he will rise is the fact that he shall obtain great wealth. Verse 43 of chapter 11 says, He shall become ruler of the treasures of gold and silver and every precious thing. You know, we recognize today that sometimes the government wants to take things that are ours. We even hate the fact that we're taxed. We don't want to be taxed. We'd rather get all of our gross income rather than getting a net on every paycheck we have. But we do give some things away. This Antichrist, when he comes, everything's going to be his. There's going to be nothing. In fact, there'll be a time when you're going to have to, if people are here, not us necessarily, we'll elaborate just a moment, but people who survive during those years are barely going to be able to live. He will obtain great wealth. Six, he will destroy many. He's going to actually create fury to destroy and devote many to destruction. And in seventh, but note this, he shall finally come to an end. He will be defeated. Verse 45 of the previous chapter says, he shall come to an end and none to help him. Those are just some things to notice that's going to happen during the time of the rise of the Antichrist. And Daniel's final vision that he receives, and by 36 B.C., he receives this final vision, and he learns and shares seven distinct things the Antichrist will be known to do. Now, just for your information or the FYI, Daniel receives part of this. Remember, he's also told to seal part of it up. And maybe Daniel didn't get all the insight, because later John, the apostle John, is sent and exiled to the island of Patmos and receives much more information pertaining to the rise of the Antichrist and things he will do. But it leaves us with a quick application. Considering the fact that the Antichrist will come upon some day and some time, and the fact that it's going to be horrible for anybody who is here, the first application is this, that this will be a day and a time you will never want to see. You will never want to be part of the days when you see the Antichrist surface. Now, it's assuring to know, as I mentioned in verse 45, and I mean number 7, is the fact that ultimately Antichrist will be defeated. But we should make no mistake, the doom and the destruction upon the earth during these days will be not pleasant at all. There'll be unparalleled annihilation of Christians and destruction of all things. And speaking of things that will unfold, Matthew received some insight from our Lord. In Matthew 24, verse 21, he said, Our Lord, for then there will be great tribulation, which has not been from the beginning of the world until now. No, and never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. I'm trying to paint a picture if you recognize the fact that during those last seven years, during that last period when it begins to happen with the rise of the Antichrist, it's going to be horrible for anyone who is left behind. We'll get in a moment how the rapture will occur. But for anyone who is left behind, it will be a horrible time on earth. You'll have this leader who hates Christians. 
and there's going to be wrath and destruction has never been seen before. So we ask ourselves, well, how bad will it be then? I mean, is there anything we can elaborate or know about how bad these last days shall be? I mean, Daniel doesn't tell us, but maybe somewhere it tells us when the last days, how bad it will be. And yes, it does. In the book of Revelation, we receive insight about how bad these last three and a half years of the seven tribulation shall be. And it's written in Revelation 16, it's known as the bowl. And here's some things they can look forward to. Not pleasant at all. Notice the first. The bowls begin to unfold. The angels pour out God's wrath upon the earth for those left behind that are going to experience painful, grievous sores that will cause men to want to die. They'll scream out in agony, excruciating pain. But they will not be allowed to die. It just must endure the pain. They'll see and all the fresh water systems will just turn to blood. When it turns to blood, eliminating drinking water. Now, you can't go very long without drinking water. You can go longer without food than you can without water. But not only will it eliminate drinking water, it's going to kill everything completely in the water system. There'll be heat so intense. Kayla and Colton, Micah, and Jackson went to Texas last week. The very first thing they said when they came back is, we cannot believe it's that hot in Texas. And we lived there for over 12 years. It was hot. Was it not hot? <laughs> so, but so, and even in Indiana, we get heat, we get humidity. In Florida, they're suffering from heat. I mean, the country has times when there's going to be severe heat, but it's never going to be what you find in these last years that the heat will be so literally intense, it'll scorch people. We have never had that kind of heat. There'll be earthquakes. We've all maybe been in an earthquake or heard of one or experienced one, but the earthquakes will never be in our life like what shall happen then. And, of course, hail. We've maybe been through storms of hail. No one has ever seen a 100-pound hailstorm. It shall occur in those last and final days with the wrath, the bolts being poured on the earth. I mean, the mere thought of the wrath and destruction shall be upon the earth at that particular time just further enhances the last point we made from last week's message, which was this. You have got to be prepared for the rapture today. You've got to be prepared. I mean, you don't want, when the rapture occurs and all the Christians, everybody who believes, professing Christians on this earth, born again people, when they're all gone, you don't want to be left behind saying, where'd all my Christian friends go? It's going to happen really quick in the twinkle of an eye, they're gone. It doesn't tell us the time will happen. It just says it will happen. So you don't want to be left behind to endure the wrath and see the rise of the Antichrist and saying, where did all these good people go? I mean, the beginning of the last seven years will be ushered in by something called the rapture. We are believing in pre-trib. The rapture will occur in the tribulation years. And Paul wrote this to supply the evidence that we need. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, he said, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. My dad's passed away. He will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Those verses to me is evidence enough. 
that when the when things begin to happen, and all of a sudden the rapture occurs, and all the believing Christians are called off the face of the earth, according to Revelation 16 to 17, I mean the verses Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16 and 17, the dead in Christ will rise first, those who passed on, and then all believers will also be called up together and meet the Lord. I can't explain how that happens. can't tell you when that happens. I can just tell you the Bible is true, and it will happen. And then the seven years, that last final period, he ushered in. And I need to tell you this. If you hear nothing else, you've got to hear this. This is the next major event in Christianity. Everything else has already happened, which means people be wise to prepare for this moment as if it could occur any particular day. I'm not saying it's going to happen today. I'm not saying it's going to happen tomorrow or next week or next year. I'm just saying it's wise to prepare as if it could happen at any time, and it could. That's our first particular point. Again, to say the day of the Antichrist and his actions is not a day or a time in which you want to see. You want to prepare yourself for the rapture, it shall occur. And then these last days, these last years, will be ushered in. But notice again, as we return to chapter 12, there will be many, I've already noted, I've already mentioned, that will indeed miss the Antichrist. In fact, as I mentioned, if you are right now a born-again believer, you will not see the rise of the Antichrist. Look with me in verse, chapter 12, verse 1. Again, the chapter division occurs, at that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people, that shall be a time of trouble, such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. So notice in verse 1, we stop there again, because notice here that the archangel Michael is going to rise to the occasion. We kind of mentioned that. And then also verse 1 elaborates and informs there's going to be a time of trouble. Again, time of trouble has never been seen in the history of the world before. I've been trying to paint a picture of how bad it's going to be. There's never been anything that shall happen in that day like anything that's happened before in the history of the world. But notice how it says the faithful will be delivered. So we stopped there for a moment and we asked ourselves, well, okay, who are the faithful? Because I want to make sure I'm one of the faithful. So how can I recognize, how can I be identified how can I be distinct from the others? Is there any way that tells us of how we can be identified and how the who are the faithful? And yes, the end of verse 1 tells us exactly. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. That's the faithful. Everyone whose name found written in the book. So notice here is another reference then to the book of life. If you remember back in Daniel chapter 7, the message we had, we previously talked about the book of life. But in Daniel chapter 7, this is a little bit different. We learned about how the books are opened. So these are the books that are open that's recording everything you've done, the good and the bad, which is really kind of different in the book of life. Because remember, the book of life is listing those names who've accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Now here in Daniel chapter 12, Daniel's prophecy is kind of pertaining to Jewish people who have come and accepted Jesus as Messiah. But we mentioned weeks ago that the book of life does not just contain Jewish names of people who have accepted Jesus, but for all the Gentiles, all of you and me as well, who've accepted Jesus, Jesus Christ as Lord. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, your name is in the book of life. 
In fact, your name should be there. But I consider the words of Henry Morse. Henry Morse is a scholar, and he has a rather unique perspective. He says this as pertaining to the book of life. Work with me just a moment. He says, one can speculate that each person's name is entered into the book. He's referring to the book of life. At the time of conception. Now think about that. And be recorded alongside two distinct dates. Number one, the date, time of his or her age of accountability. And that's different for everyone. There's no magical age of accountability. It's just when you begin to recognize you're a sinner. And secondly, the date of his or her conversion to Christ as Lord and Savior. He says, though, however, if there is no entry of conversion, if there's no second date, by the time the person dies, the entire record will be blotted out. So consider Morris's perspective. It may be different than what you've ever thought about before. I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm saying consider it. That upon conception, when conceived, okay, in the womb, his theory is that your name is written in the book of life. And that as you come to the age when you know right from wrong, there's a date entered there. And the second date is actually written there when you recognize you're a sinner and you come to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. He's also saying, hey, if you've never recognized Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, then when you die, it's too late. And your name there is then blotted out, erased, and removed from the book of life. And that's a theory. And perhaps it unfolds exactly that way. But nonetheless, it gives our second application that you do not want to have your name blotted out of the book of life. And if you fully consider Morris's point of view, your name is already there at the time you were born. But there must be that date in which you accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. No matter how you want to slice it, no matter what belief you want to have, there must be a day you accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior or your name simply is not written in the book of life. So if you know what that means is this, I mean, there's going to be a blank spot. If you believe in Morse's, then there'll be a blank spot and a final and conclusive evidence that you're being judged ultimately one day and you're going to be consigned to a lake of fire. You're thinking, what's that mean? That means you're not going to be anywhere close to God and your Christian friends. You're going to be in hell and torment forever. And once there, there's no going back. Hebrews 9.27 says, appointed for once for men to die. Once you die, it is done. There's no going back. There's no change in your mind. There's no purgatory. There's no actually trying to get things better to try to get to heaven. It's done. And there will be that judgment. Revelation chapter 20 says, I saw a great white throne in him who was seated on it. From his presence in the sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. The books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. Here it comes. The dead were judged of what was written in the books, according to what they had done. The sea gave up their dead. Death and Hades gave up their dead. They were all judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. And death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death of the lake of fire. Verse 15. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he or she was thrown into the lake of fire. 
You do not want to have your name not written in the book of life. Blot it out, however you want to word it. You do not want to have your name not written there. Because once you die, your eternal destiny is set if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. But today, you can actually prepare yourself for your eternal destiny. I mean, maybe you're here this morning and you know that you know that you know that you're going to heaven. You're going to be with your Christian friends and brothers and sisters. Or maybe you have doubt, like Chris mentioned with the kids earlier. And, and, but you need to get that doubt erased. I mean, you need to know that you know that your name is written in the book of life. And when that die come, when that day comes to an end, there will be a judgment. It's known as the great white throne. Believers will never be there. But what shall be there is all those to be judges never accepted Jesus Christ. And if you've not accepted Jesus Christ, your name's not written in the book. The books are open. Your name's not there. You're judged. You're thrown in a lake of fire. You're burning in hell forever. There's no other way to say it. That's just straight how it is. But it doesn't have to be you. I mean, Daniel's final vision here we're talking about this morning provides just another message. You've had a series of messages now, and it provides a a reminder that today is the day in which you need to get right with God. Don't let another day pass by. You can repent of your sin except Jesus Christ is the Lord. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him to the dead. You'll be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, but the mouth one confesses and is saved. We need to be prepared for the next major event in Christianity, which is a rapture, which immediately leads into the last period of seven in the tribulation years. And that itself is all we really need to know about Daniel's vision. And there's a proper end to the entire series. But I'd be remiss if I didn't go five minutes further and offer one more additional point in insight. So go back to chapter 12 for a final time, as if we didn't have time to elaborate on all of it. But we do have to go back one more time and look at verse 3. Verse 3 says, And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Did you look upon chapter 12, verse 3, and hear that once again, the question comes to my mind, okay, well, who are the wise? I mean, the word wise is in the verse. I think it's written again in verse 10. Who are the wise? The in New American Standard Bible actually uses the word insight here rather than wise. And so they have insight. They're, not, they're wise, but they have insight. So it's like insight to what? And again, who are the wise? So it's like whether you use the word wise or insight, it kind of points us to one of the same. Because in Daniel's case, it referred to people like him. Meaning wise people like you, who are knowledgeable of the end events and what shall happen. You're now wise to know the things that will transpire to the end. We don't know exactly when and how everything's going to happen. We know it's going to happen, and now we've got a, a, a picture of what it's going to be like. So we're wise to these things. Dr. David Jeremiah says the word wise in this passage is describing teachers, or better worded, as individuals who have insight into the times and impart it to others. 
So note then what I'm saying is you don't have to be a teacher, you don't have to be a pastor, you don't have to be a graduate seminary, you don't have to be a scholar. I mean, you have read and maybe know the book of Revelation. We had a study on it months ago. Now we went through the series of Daniel. We know about end-time prophecy. We know certain events have already happened, and we know one major event is about to happen in some day. So it actually leads us into the final point is this. You are the wise. So deliver the truth of Jesus Christ. We need to be intentional with even a sense of urgency about letting others know about Jesus. And then even adding in, maybe if they don't accept Jesus, what shall happen? But you may say, well, I'm not well versed into the end time prophecy. I mean, I heard you talk about it a few weeks. I didn't understand Revelation. And, and even Daniel confesses in verse 8 here, he said, I understood not. And if Daniel can't understand it, well, how can I understand it and then convey it? And maybe even rationalizing here that even, I mean, he te- Daniel even tells, or God tells Daniel to seal it up and not share it, so to speak. I mean, so we, we could say, I mean, all that's true. If Daniel did admit to not understanding all the vision, I can't understand everything yet. And I'm trying to explain it to y'all. But, and yeah, he was kind of instructed to seal it up. But he was not instructed to seal it up so no one could read it. Or that we shouldn't share it. And basically, in verse 4 and verse 9, it's told to shut up the words and seal the book. I mean, it's written verse 4 and verse 9. I mean, Daniel is told to prophecy before the end times, and it must be secured so it will be available when it was needed most. I mean, it's almost like a will and testament to seal it up, but known to be known and discussed when it's applicable. And it's about to be. It certainly is. So make no mistake, we are to take the understanding of what we know, what we've heard of the text, and the scriptures, and especially the gospel out to the world. You and me and Christians should become knowledgeable of the word and spread it abroad to anyone willing to listen. We must be what's considered and called an Acts 1-8 church. It's in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You be my witnesses. We're the witnesses, as the disciples were the witnesses, in Jerusalem, Judea, and anywhere to the end of the earth. The end of the earth is not open city. It's anywhere you go. People need to know about Jesus Christ and future events. And maybe you're not comfortable telling everybody all those things. Well, you don't necessarily have to be comfortable, but you have to have the love for mankind and let them know simply, if they just don't come to truth, there's going to be a day of horrible devastation that you rather did not see. We all can boil it down to this particular fact. We all are wise to know what shall happen. And we're all wise to know there are lost, lonely, confused people in this world that seriously need Jesus Christ. And we must be willing to communicate the gospel to them. If nothing else, just let them know that Jesus Christ came. He died. He ascended. He rose. He ascended and he's coming back. Just tell those five important things. First of all, he came, he died, he arose from the grave, then he ascended, but Leno is also coming back. And they need to prepare for that today. Daniel chapter 7 through chapter 12 is a difficult portion of prophecy. Some of those events have already occurred. 
the last major event has yet occurred, has not yet occurred. But it's true. It is written. It shall happen. So we need to prepare ourselves and those we love for what shall occur. Father, Lord, we thank you for the series we've had in Daniel to help us, Lord, maybe prepare our hearts and the hearts of others that we love for things that shall come to truth as written in your word, Lord. We know your Lord, your word is true, Lord, and we take it for exactly that, the absolute truth, not relative truth that some things might be true, but for absolute truth that everything written in your word is true. It has occurred and it shall occur upon a future date of things we've been learning about in the past few weeks. So, Lord, today our reflection, our invitation is quite simple. Would you pray, Lord, today that anyone here who has not prepared themselves for the day that shall come of when the Christians are removed from the earth, they will prepare themselves right now here today and accept you, Jesus Christ, as Lord, your Son. And Lord, for those who maybe be listening later, or if we take this message to our friends, our family, our co-workers, I, I pray now that you're stirring their heart so when the seed is planted, they'll begin to understand and accept and will not be one of those left behind. Lord, let us then recognize it's our responsibility. You established a plan for us as believers, as we are your disciples, Lord. You established a plan for us to go and take your word, your gospel, your truth, your son Jesus to this world. That's the plan you established, Lord. There is no plan B. It can't be left up to anybody else. It's left up to us to prepare the people and to share the gospel and the good news. And it starts here by looking in the mirror with ourselves. Then we must prepare ourselves today. Let us do so. Let us be thankful for the fact that you took our place and we stand now righteous before God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.